old Christ in all his splendor and majesty. How wonderful would that be? Is that something that you desire as a professing Christian to behold Christ in all his splendor and majesty? The songs that we sung today, they lift our eyes up. They don't dwell on the struggles of the day, but tell us about the wondrous works of God, about who he is, about what he's done, and what the implications of that are in our lives. When we speak of beholding the splendor and majesty of God, it doesn't mean we need some bright light in front of our eyes. It doesn't mean that today we need some form of miracle in our eyes to, to justify us saying the things we say or living the way that we live. It means exactly that. Recognizing who God is and living in light of that. Think about that for a second. What does it mean to have eternal life? What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be called by God if not growing in the knowledge of Him? My people perish for a lack of knowledge. A lack of knowledge of what? I promise you it's not talking about a degree at a university. I guarantee you it's not about the research you do before you vote for a political candidate. We perish because we lack knowledge of the one true God. And so we desire to know him. We desire to grow in the wisdom and knowledge of him. Because if we seek him, first, foremost, primary, everything else falls into place. All these things are added to you. No need to worry. No need to be concerned. Because you know who God is. The passage we're going to study today is Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 46 through 52. Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. 
And it reads, And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Knock, and the door shall be open to you. Seek, and you shall find. Ask, and it shall be given to you. What does that mean? Does that mean every miracle, every sign, every desire of our hearts, all we have to do is ask? Not just ask, but ask it in Jesus' name. Do we need a sign or a wonder to recognize who God is? Is this blind beggar on side the road so consumed with a desire for sight that as soon as he hears that the healer is coming, as soon as he finds out that Jesus of Nazareth is walking on this road, he shouts out because he wants his sight back. Is that really what this is about? Is that only what this is about. Mark opens his gospel with a very direct sentence. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. To open a book in such a way, 
the beginning of the good news, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He has clear intentions as to what he seeks to communicate. And not just that, but he makes a beeline for the cross. Think about it for a second. If you were to read Mark's gospel account cover to cover, you would feel as though you were on a bullet train. And immediately, and immediately, and immediately he went up. And immediately he did this. As though being pulled along at light speed and seeing the wonders of Christ in 4K on fast forward. Because there's something he's getting at. What is it that Mark wants us to see? What is it that Mark wants us to know, to grab hold of, to recognize? He doesn't focus on the day-to-day -day of Jesus. And instead, he focuses on signs and wonders, miracles, all pointing to the divinity of Christ. Things that you and I see and we think are so obvious. And yet even those so close to him didn't quite get it. They didn't quite understand. We're not sure, so sure if it was because of, well, all the ramblings of the day of who Messiah would be. And they finally get a hold of it. We're not so sure if maybe it was a misunderstanding of what Scripture teaches about Messiah. We're not so sure if maybe they just saw a man who God anointed to do wondrous works and free the nation from oppression, return the land back to those who it belongs to so that they might live a blessed life on this earth. What we are sure of is that they did not see. They did not know. They did not have full knowledge of who God is. And even with miracle worker Jesus in front of them, they didn't quite grab hold of that. Was Jesus here to perform miracles, give sight to the blind, help the lame to walk, just for the purpose of helping the lame walk and the blind see? That's why Messiah came, right? I came that I might give sight to the blind. Then why do we still have those who are blind today? Why do we still have those who are in need of wheelchairs and 
walkers, or worse yet, who are bedbound and can't move. Can't he work the same miracles today that he did back then? He doesn't need to be present, does he? Physically. He tell one, take heart, your, your daughter is fine. Without ever setting eyes on the person. And so why can he not do that today? Why does he not heal us today? Brothers and sisters in Christ. We misunderstand what it means to be blind and to see. Mark uses a literary tool. We'll call it a sandwich. There are two healings done by Jesus bringing sight to the blind. The first you would recall, I believe is in Mark 8. Mark 8, 22 through 26. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. Why did the people bring the blind man? Well, they're seeking healer Jesus. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus led his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And he sent him home saying, do not even enter the village. Well, that sounds different, doesn't it? What's Jesus doing spitting in someone's eyes? And touching them and laying his hands over them. And yet we have an incomplete healing. A man who only sees trees for people, a shadow of what things actually are. Oh, but over time, he saw things clearly. And yet here we see Bartimaeus a blind beggar who but calls on the name of the Lord and his sight is restored in an instant. Brothers and sisters, unfortunately, you and I, when we come to Christ, we are blind. 
And when our eyes are open, sadly, we see things dimly. We see trees where we should see people. We don't fully capture, we don't fully appreciate, we don't fully understand the things of God. We don't fully see him. I think the doctrine of the Trinity is a perfect example of that. Can you come to Christ without fully understanding that? If we polled everybody here today, I'm sure, while you know it, you don't quite understand it. Not everybody, but some. But yet over time, by his grace, our sight becomes clear as we grow in the wisdom and knowledge of him. As we look at verse 46 and verse 10, it reads, they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, here is Bartimaeus. And why were they coming to Jericho and well, passing through Jericho? He's on his way to Jerusalem for Passover, for Passion. And just like in Asheville, it's always at the entrance or the exit of a city that we find someone at the red light with a sign saying, hungry, anything helps. There's always a beggar at the beginning or the ending of a city or of a road or of a path. And Bartimaeus is no exception. But they don't just say that he was a beggar. They said he was blind. So he's a blind beggar, unable to work and care for himself, unable to earn a living, unable to do the things that you and I can do. We were made to work, were we not? Adam was told to keep the garden. God himself worked six days and rested on one. To be in the image of God is to work. And so he's blind and he's begging. And they tell us that he's the son of Timaeus, which means that you can go and verify the story, at least they could. And he was sitting by the roadside. And here's the part that captivates me. It's when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. Here is a man who cannot see. Here is a man who can't do much for himself other than sit at the roadside and beg. But when he heard, 
scripture tells us that faith comes by hearing. Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't need his sight to know who it was. He didn't have to see clearly to recognize Jesus. He heard of him and heard he was near. And that's all it took for him to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Why would he call him son of David? Well, who is the son of David? Psalm 110 tells us that the son of David is also David's Lord. And it tells us that that Lord is seated at or seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. My Lord said to, or the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And so to call Jesus the son of David is to identify Jesus as divine. It's to recognize who he is, the exalted Lord of David, the exalted Messiah, the exalted at the right hand of the Father. And he screams out, have mercy on me. Do you say that to anybody? A random person? What is what is mercy? What mercy does this blind beggar need? Jesus isn't bothering him. He's not beating on him. He's not screaming and crying for mercy. And yet he says, have mercy on me. And the response of those around him, those who are walking in the crowd, what's their response to this man who's on side the road in the dirt calling on Jesus, pleading that he might have mercy on him, a blind beggar. It was to rebuke him, to tell him to keep his distance, to say, don't bother the good teacher. Wait until another comes along and beg for all that you want or need. What we have going on here is something special and it can't be hindered by you and your begging. They rebuked him. They rebuked him, told him to be silent, yet he did not stop. He continued to cry out. Not to beg for money. Not to beg for food. He didn't ask for Shelter. He didn't ask for some exalted position. No, 
He begged for mercy. Mercy from God Almighty, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man. And what do they say? You ought to feel great. The master, the teacher is telling you to come. Take heart. I guarantee you that if Jesus would have said nothing, they would not have grabbed him and brought him to Jesus. Remember the blind man in chapter 8? People didn't leave him at his home, yet they took him to Jesus. And yet as Jesus is walking to his passion, the crowds that are around him are not about what Jesus is about. They see the miracle working man. They see somebody who's going to lead them to victory, somebody who can't be distracted. Taken captive of by one who is not in the, the crowd. And their response is a telling response. Take heart. Get up. He's calling you. He's calling you. He's calling you. And he throws off his cloak, springs to his feet, and sprints to Christ. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Blind, beggar, in the dirt, on side the road, crying out to Jesus for mercy calling him the exalted son of David. Jesus comes to him and says, what do you want me to do for you? It's a familiar statement, isn't it? What do you want me to do for you? Who did he say that to? Doesn't that draw your mind back to James and John? Lord, 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 do whatever we ask you to do. They come to him, they, 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 they get him in a corner and, and they get away from the other disciples and they say, Lord, no, we're going to ask you something and we want you to do whatever we ask you to do. 
And Jesus's response was. What do you want me to do for you? Those who are so close to Jesus. Those who are in the inner circle. Those who got to see him transfigured on the mountain. Lord, make it so I can sit on your left and my brother can sit on your right. So consumed with earthly things. With position and status. So consumed with things that are a shadow of what reality actually is. You could say that they're blind and only seeing trees when they should be seeing people. Yes, that healing of that first blind man wasn't about healing a blind man. Rather, in these very miracles, Christ is telling a story. He's telling us about ourselves. <clears throat> yes, that man was blind and yes, that man received sight. But yes, you and I are blind. And you and I see things dimly now and yet over time as we grow in his word, as we grow in the knowledge of him, our sight will be clear. Those whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Along with his brother James, he says, what do you want me to do for you? If that was an intimate conversation. Jesus saying, OK, I'll do. What you ask me, what do you want me to do for you? If he's so gracious, so loving, so caring to those who are so close to him, how much more is that love put on display? When the blind beggar, Bartimaeus, calls out to him. He offers the exact same words. What will you, or rather, what do you want me to do? For you. Those who walked with Jesus. Those who witnessed the miracles, those who were taught directly by him. Saw trees and shadows. Each of them could walk. Each of them could work. 
Each of them could do all they needed to do to provide for their families, to study the scrolls, to learn and grow in him. Each of them had their sight. Each of them saw these things firsthand. They were eyewitnesses and saw in shadows. And yet the blind beggar, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say he didn't witness a single miracle Jesus ever did. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say he was not an eyewitness to the calming of the sea and of the storm, to the resurrection of Lazarus. He was not an eyewitness to the lame now walking. He was not an eyewitness to Jesus' casting out demons, healing the woman with the issue of blood. He was blind. And he made his home on the ground, on the road, at the exit of Jericho, as people would prepare for this mountain trek up to Jerusalem. And yet this blind man saw crystal clear who Jesus was without ever seeing anything. This blind man had more sight, had more knowledge of God than those who were walking right next to him. This blind man didn't need to Talk to John. He didn't need to hear him scream out that behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Yet he proclaims Jesus as David's Lord, as the one seated at the right hand of God at the one he can place his trust and his hope and his faith in, the one he can cry out to and say, Lord, have mercy on me. And yet God comes to him, one who recognizes himself as undeserving, as unclean, as blind and begging and poor, and yet he comes to Jesus. He calls out and Christ accepts him in a very intimate way and says to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. He already believed. He already knew who Jesus was. And he says, Rabbi, let me recover 
my sight. I believed without seeing a single thing. I wasn't an eyewitness to anything that you've done, O oh Lord. Let me recover my sight. What is he asking? What is it that he desires so much that he would call out and, and go against the crowd and still cry for Jesus? Is it that so he could see? So he can go and get a job? Support his family? He didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for position or status or power. He didn't ask about anything concerning some kingdom. What did he ask for? What gets lost in the English translation is the fact that that's a command. Command me to recover my sight. So even in his request, he's acknowledging the authority of God to command him to recover something lost. But why? Why? He's got a free pass, right? The Lord of the universe is standing right before you. What would you have me to do for you? What do you want? Ask me anything. And he says, let me recover. My sight. Lord, let my faith become sight. Let me see with clear eyes. Let me, O oh God, see the one in whom I believe. You may be saying to yourself, where did you get that from? Did I just make that up? Am I creating some analogy that this man's hope and faith might no longer be hope and faith, but might be sight that he could see Jesus? He doesn't focus on the crowd around him. He doesn't worry about what he's left behind. He's worried about Jesus. Let that which I believe be made sight. Let me see you, O Lord, clearly. Jesus tells him, he says, go your way. Don't miss it. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. Go your way, your faith 
has made you well. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. Here's that word again. And uh, immediately, immediately he recovers his sight and he does what? Does he go his way? Does he go running home, jumping for joy? Mom, dad, I can see. Does he go and get a job? Is he worried about anything other than keeping his eyes on the one whom he placed his hope, his trust, his faith in? It says immediately he recovered his sight and followed him along the way. Followed him on the way. Lord, that which I've placed my hope, my faith, my trust in. Father, we pray, let us see that clearly. He says, Lord, let me see you. Let me see you. Let my faith become sight. Why does any of this matter? Why? Why do we care about some blind beggar on the side of a road? This man received more than he asked for. Not only was his fate made sight, but his sight was made sight. So all that he could not witness before, he can witness now. He sees what matters. No, he couldn't be an eyewitness to the calming of the storm, the raising of Lazarus and all of the other miracles of Jesus, but he could be an eyewitness to the miracle that mattered more than anything. As they take this trek up the mountain to Jerusalem, as they're leaving Jericho, Jesus is marching to his death, his crucifixion. He is marching to fulfilling that for which he came. And by God's grace, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, formerly a blind beggar, can now lay his eyes on the Christ who will be crucified. 
can now see that gruesome day and recognize it for what it is. It can be numbered among those blessed beyond measure to call that crucified Messiah Lord. He received much, much more than he ever asked for. You and I can at times get so consumed, much like his disciples throughout this process, with the miracles, the works, the wonders. We get distracted. We focus on things that really don't matter. They take up all of our time, all of our headspace. Bartimaeus displayed his faith, not by asking to receive his sight, but by trusting and placing his hope in the God who can command even the blind to see. This is about Jesus and us lifting our eyes to him. You and I can see. You and I can bear witness to his wonders. You and I have been changed by him. And because we know, because we have been given his revelation and scripture, because we have been indwelled by his spirit, there should be no excuse. There should be no reason to lose focus. And though we struggle and though we stumble, God calls. God accepts. God draws us to himself. He beckons us to look upon him who is lifted up. Just like those who looked upon the serpent in the wilderness, behold him and receive life. One who can die yet give life. One who can die yet take up life. One who places us in him that we might have life. And not just have it, but have it more abundantly. More than we could ever ask for, more than we could ever think about. That's the God we serve. The God who is above all, incomprehensible, and yet reveals himself to us. Oh, at times, 
it looks like a shadow. At times we only see tree trunks, but at some point, as the Spirit works in us and sanctifies us and conforms us more and more into His image, at some point, those shadows begin to go away because the bright light of Christ shines through so that you and I can see clearly. Trust. Trust in that Christ. For he is our hope, the object of our faith, and the Lord of us all. Let's pray.